This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. One of the most interesting books of the Bible that you won't find preached in Branham's recorded sermons from 1947 to 1965 is the book of Titus. And this is interesting for multiple reasons, not just because of the incredible book itself, what seems to be the avoidance of this book, or the complete reversal from its teaching, but mainly because of what Branham preached in replacement of Titus. Titus is one of the three pastorals in the Bible, the books of Timothy being the other two, and some consider Philemon to be in this category. The pastorals were Paul's instructions to pastors of the church with the sole purpose of establishing worship within the body in a way that grew and matured the church into elders that could lead new churches themselves. These books discuss issues with leadership and doctrinal teachings while promoting the Christian lifestyle. To some extent, all of Paul's letters promote organization and structure of the church, something that you won't find in most of the religious cults that have splintered themselves from Christianity and severed themselves from the rest of the body of Christ. It's ironic because many of these splinter groups were founded by a man who claimed to have a prophetic gift. And yet this gift was not employed with the organization and structure that Paul described for the early church. Paul took heed to the warning of Christ that false prophets and false teachers would rise. And he established boundaries in Corinthians so that the early church was not led astray. Paul set up orderly worship that included two or three prophets, not just one. And if one spoke with prophecy, and that prophecy was not from the Lord, then the other two prophets would speak words of truth. But even the two or three prophets were not enough to become the ultimate authority, because Paul was building up a church that was strong in the word. After the prophets spoke, the people were to weigh their prophecy in the balance of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 14.29 says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. 
And interestingly, the first prophet did not gain a floor from which to become overbearing. If he began his prophecy and God started speaking through another, then the first prophet must silence himself. 1 Corinthians 14.30 says, If a revelation is made to another sitting here, let the first be silent. But most of all, Paul insisted on orderly worship. While the phrase, the spirits of the prophet are subject to the prophet, has been taken completely out of context by spiritual leaders to imply that they are a sorcerer in full control of spirits, <clears throat> Paul's statement simply means that they can control their gift. The prophets can control their mouths, stopping the prophecy so that orderly worship can be established. One prophet at a time, please. He says in 1 Corinthians 14.26, For you can all prophesy, prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. <clears throat> the pastoral letters continued Paul's establishment of structure and orderly worship. Titus, specifically, pointed to the qualifications for elders, <clears throat> the establishment of sound doctrine, and the instructions as to how the elders should teach God's children to be ready for Christian service. This was a battle against Satan, <clears throat> and Paul was building up an army of troops, not a single authority that would fight the battle as a lone gunman, as these religious cults have tried to establish. <clears throat> but William Branham was against what he called organized religion. And the book of Titus does not fit within that theology. One can only assume why Branham did not teach from the book of Titus when teaching conduct order doctrine, or the ordaining of the commune in Prescott that he called Little Goshen, or the opening meeting of Pastor Jim Jones in Indianapolis. Titus was given with the intention of preventing what happened in Prescott and Jonestown. And it is a very good foundation for the commissioning of a church. But the interesting part in all of this is that Branham does mention Titus over 50 times in his recorded ministry, just not the Titus that Paul's letters went to. While Branham firmly preached against organized religion, as Paul tries to establish, he also preached firmly against the Catholic Church. The Titus that Branham preaches is Titus Flavius Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor from A.D. 79 to A.D. 81. <clears throat> and in Branham's theology, the God that loved us enough to send his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us was replaced with a God of wrath and judgment levels beyond the just God from the Old Testament. As with many cult leaders who try to bind their captives in fear, Branham used Titus as an example of God's wrath for rejecting Pentecost, just as he claimed that this God of wrath did for his own daughter and his wife, Hope and Sharon Rose. He says this on the handwriting is on the wall sermon. He says a good example of that Pentecost, after Pentecost, when Titus, in 96, take the walls of Jerusalem when they rejected the message. Certainly, here we are. But taking this theology out to conclusion, it must also be tied to the words of Christ 
when he described the end of days in Matthew 24. To tie Rome to the timeline of the end of the days, Branham claimed that Titus established the abomination of desolation that is mentioned by both Daniel and Jesus Christ. He says this, <clears throat> he says, And so, now, as Jerusalem compassed about with armies, but literally, historically, that was during A.D. 96, when Titus besieged Jerusalem. But now watch this closely, you can see different. Branham says, Now I believe that Jerusalem will be compassed about with armies again at the end time, but I believe here that he was comparing with when Titus besieged it, when the desolation bare out. He says, Now the desolation, speaking, was when Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Branham says, Notice, he said, When the abomination that maketh desolation stand in the holy place. See, the abomination is unclean. That maketh desolation. Desolate is to do away with, is to destroy. <clears throat> when you see the abomination that maketh desolation standing in the holy place, scripturally fulfilled when Titus besieged Jerusalem. That's Branham, Questions and Answers, 1954. <clears throat> Christ, remember, said this. He said, Matthew 24, 15 through 16, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee into the mountains. And he's referring to the prophecy of Daniel found in Daniel 11. Forces from him will appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. So Daniel 11:31. In Jewish tradition, Daniel's prophecy regarding the abomination of desolation had been both fulfilled and removed, while at the same time they were waiting for the fulfillment of Daniel's interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream that pointed to the coming of Christ. Christians who study both Jewish history and scripture can identify what seems to be fulfillment of Daniel while also waiting on the reestablishment of the abomination from desolation in the temple. <clears throat> the book of Maccabees, a book of Jewish history, records the day when the abomination of Daniel's prophecy was removed from the temple before the coming of Christ. And it describes as the king of Persia helps to set this up. It, it reads like this, King Antiochus was going through the upper provinces when he heard that Elmaeus in Persia was a city formed for its wealth and its gold. <clears throat> and it says, Its temple was very rich, containing golden shields, breastplates, and weapons left there by Alexander the son of Philip, the Macedonian king who first reigned over the Greeks. So he came and tried to take the city and plunder it. But he could not, because his plan became known to the men of the city, and they withstood him in battle. So he fled in great grief and departed there to return in Babylon. Then, some, then someone who came to him in Persia reported that the armies had gone into the land of Judah, had been routed, and that Lysias had gone first with a strong force, but had turned and fled before the Jews, that the Jews had grown strong from the arms, supplies, and abundant spoils, which they had taken from the armies that they had cut down. Here's the interesting part that they had torn down the abomination which they erected upon the altar in Jerusalem. 
and that they surrendered the sanctuary with high walls as before, and also Beth Zur, his city. According to the history described in Maccabees, this abomination that was established in the temple truly made Jerusalem desolate. Further down in the chapter, it says, Because of them, the residents of Jerusalem fled. She became a dwelling of strangers. She became strange to her offspring, and her children forsook her. Her sanctuary became as desolate as a desert. Her feasts were turned into mourning, her Sabbaths into a reproach, her honor into contempt. <clears throat> but William Branham specifically pointed the prophecy of Daniel to the siege of Jerusalem by the Roman armies in AD, 19, AD 96, when asked the question, What is the abomination of desolation? on the 1954 sermon entitled Questions and Answers, Branham claimed that Titus pushed the Jews out of the temple in Jerusalem and established the Mosque of Omar. He says this, question and answers, Last night when the Holy Spirit predicted, 900 years before the Jews received the Holy Ghost and told them that would be, the inkhorn, the man with the inkhorn rider, went through the midst of Jerusalem and set a mark on their forehead. Is that right? Spoke it before the church was condemned by God. And Titus besieged the walls of Jerusalem in A.D. 96 and burnt the city. And there wasn't one stone left upon another one, according to the prophecy. And today, the only thing they got left on the temple is an old wall laying there where they heaped up the stones. And it's rubbed slick where the Jews weep and wail there at the wailing wall. The only thing left of the temple. And the Moslem of Omar stands at that same place. He repeated this idea all throughout his ministry. According to Branham, the Mosque of Omar was the abomination, and Titus was responsible. Followers today still blame the Catholic Church for this, because Titus was Roman, and they believe in a twisted version of history that matches quotes like this. Branham says in AD, 19, AD 96, Titus came in and captured Jerusalem and burnt the temple. And they built the Mosque of Omar, the Mohammedan religion, right on the temple grounds, still stands there to this day, and it will stand there until God returns to the Jews again. And the abomination, that is, the Mosque of Omar, that maketh desolation in the holy place. <clears throat> but this version of history was not accurate. The Mosque of Omar was established for Islam, not the Catholic Church, and it was established after the siege of Jerusalem in 637 A.D., over 540 years after the Roman invasion. The Rajadhan army, Sunni Islam, under the command of Abu Ubadah, sieged Jerusalem in November 636. And also, the mosque does not fit within Christ's timeline for the end. While the mosque has been established for over a thousand years, Christ said immediately after the abomination was established in the temple that the Great Tribulation would begin a tribulation like the world has never seen, nor would ever see again. Matthew 24, 15-21, Jesus speaking, So when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea flee into the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what it is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for the women who are pregnant, and those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight not be in winter or on a Sabbath. 
For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. <clears throat> but while Branham taught a Roman version of Titus, the Titus from the Bible is good, sound theology. To any who have been programmed to despise organized religion and training pastors with sound teaching, Titus will be in a very interesting book. It exposes men who speak against an organized body of Christ, and especially against leaders who preach that they don't know the book too good, but know the author real well. Paul says that to be a pastor or a spiritual leader, you must know the book. Titus 1 verse 9, he says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give an instruction and sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. It's Titus 1 verse 9. And Paul would not have all supported Branham's fictional stories about his childhood and supernatural events that have now been proven false. Paul called these people deceivers, and he condemns them openly. Titus 1, verses 10 through 13 says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. That's the party, remember, that tried to reestablish and, and reaffirm the old covenant of law versus grace. Paul says they must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. It's Titus 1, verse 10 through 13. But this idea, while being promoted that we should not judge others, Paul speaks firmly against that teaching. As Christians, we are absolutely supposed to judge false teaching and deception. Titus 1, 13-16 says, Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. But the most important part of Titus undermines this little bride theology. Paul does not tell Titus that God has hidden Himself in mysteries and that only the little elect group will know. In fact, Paul said Christ came to all, bringing salvation to all who believe in him. Titus 2, verses 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Mm -hmm.